Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Come on, can we give God some praise in the house? Hallelujah. What a Sunday. Well, let's see what time is it. All right, I'm going to go ahead and have the worship team come back up. <laughs> oh, man, what a Sunday. People getting baptized, new life group leaders, announcing conference. Come on. You got to be excited to be in the house of God. You know, because we, we watch all these things happen, and we're like, okay, that's cool. But no, this is a reason to celebrate. This is a reason to get excited. This is a reason to shout praise that lives are being changed, people are being healed, and restored. Leaders are being developed. More disciples are being raised up. Church, when you give God a shout of praise to say thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, we've been in this uh, discussion for the past couple of weeks uh, discussing revival, our role in revival. If you were here last week or maybe you're tuning in this week, I encourage you to go back and watch the message uh, before and the one before that so you can kind of catch up to where we're at. Um, and in this process, we learn that revival is not an event, it is not an experience, but it is a responsibility of the disciple to take part in. God gave us opportunity to choose to take part in revival, and that's up to each one of us to decide whether or not we're going to fulfill the role that he has given us in revival. If you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, no matter where you're at in the world, you have personally experienced revival in your own life. Why? Because you were once dead in your sin, and you have been brought back to a new life in Christ Jesus. Would you say amen? amen. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave, me for, gave himself for me. So now that we have this new understanding that I am no longer alive, that it is Christ in me, it's important to also grasp that I have to change some behaviors, yes? I have to change some of my daily practices if I truly want to begin to live this new life. I have to stop my old ways of living and take up on the new ways of living. So the scripture that we read last week, Acts chapter 2, uh, we see the church being birthed. Peter ministers, 3,000 people get saved, and it says they devote themselves to four things. We talked about two of them last week. It says they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are the new believers, and this is the beginning of how they started to change their lives so that they could fulfill the role that God had for them, taking part in revival here upon the earth. Everybody caught up? So we're going to continue this message moving forward, and now we're going to take a look at the, the next part, devoted to the breaking of bread. I hope you guys got your notes out, got your, got your phones out. Don't just sit there and listen to me. We, and here's why it's so important that you take notes. I get asked all the time, Pastor, my, my mom wants to know this, my, my dad wants to know this, my, my brother needs to know this. What should I tell them? Right now, we're going to go through some foundational things that you can teach the why behind the what. So you got family members who are asking like, I uh, hear you guys talk about the blood and, and the body and all that stuff. What is that all about? It sounds like a cult in there. Instead of going, well, you know, you just, I believe. Instead of doing that, take notes. And then you can teach. And you don't have to call me because I already gave you notes. 
Amen? So we're going to learn about being devoted to the breaking of the bread. Now, early on in Scripture, prior to the time of Jesus, we see the phrase breaking bread in Scripture. At that time, breaking bread only meant to sit down and fellowship and eat. The breaking of bread requires fellowship. It requires community. What good is it to take part in community and you got no com- in communion and you got no community? You're just like, this is my time. This is my breaking of bread and my juice. I don't want nobody. I'm taking all the juice. I'm tired of these little cups. I got my whole bottles of Welch's. This is my time. And yes, I know we talked about last week that, you know, community and fellowship begins at home. And it is good to practice communion inside your house with your kids, but your kids cannot be your only community. Why? Because one day your kids are going to grow up and they're tired of you and they're going to leave. And then it's just you and your husband. And y'all can't stand each other, so then it's just you. So you need to build a community. This is part of the breaking of bread. Now, again, in the older time, before Jesus, breaking bread just simply meant to have a meal together. That's why you still hear some black people still say today, yo, brother, break bread. Let me get a piece of that, right? We still say that. It's a a term. It's just something we like to say in the sense of share some food with me. Break bread. I break bread. You break bread. But when Jesus came, this phrase changed into something vastly more important. Instead of just breaking bread, it became the breaking of the bread. And now devote yourself to this time. So what does that mean now? It means that every time we sit down to break bread, we're remembering something. We're remembering the sacrifice that was made upon our behalf. We're remembering that Jesus died upon the cross. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord that I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment against themselves. See, that's the part we kind of leave out. See, we all like, okay, cool, you know, we're in church. Cup, got it. Bread, got it. We're listening to the devotion, close our eyes, pray. But do you do the second part? Because to be devoted to the breaking of bread requires an intentional attitude towards the second part. Do you examine yourself before taking the emblems? Because we kind of just gloss over that. But the examination part is the most important part. Is that is the real remembrance, because I'm remembering what Christ did for me up on the cross. And more often than not, we're in here waiting because we're like, man, I'm thirsty. This little bitty bread. How come they can't give us bigger bread? Is this juice old? I don't know how old this juice. You think there's lactose in this juice? Is this bread gluten-free? Like, there's so many things that we're thinking about right now. Like, man, I wish we could have a whole snack right now. It'd be bomb. Peter would be upset if he came back and saw this little bitty cup. I bet communion was different. Communion probably was different back in the day, but people nasty don't wash their hands, so we had to change things. But more often than not, our mind, 
Our mind is not taking time to examine our hearts and our actions. Our mind is everywhere but on what it should be, remembering the sacrifice that Christ made on us. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we take time to remember this? See, communion is sacred. The breaking of the bread is sacred. It changed from just dinner. Now you're doing something sacred. And everything sacred needs to have reverence. The Bible teaches us that the beginning of wisdom is reverence of the Lord. And everything that is holy is of the Lord. So communion, therefore, holy, sacred, I need to have reverence for. Because whatever I have reverence for has power in it. And we mistake that we're holding these emblems in our hands and we're neglecting the power that we're holding. See, because when I remember the sacrifice of Christ, I'm remembering that when he died, he set me free. When he died, he restored me. When he died, he empowered me. When he died, he equipped me. So when I remember that through examining my heart, now I'm receiving all that he done for me. But when I ignore that, I turn what is sacred into a religious ritual. And I do it just because everybody else is doing it. I do it because that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday. I do it because, mm, I was thirsty. And we remove all the power that is within it. And so we need to go back and teach on these fundamental things so that way we never lose reverence for what God did for us. Every single one of us set free, covered by, set free, covered by the blood of Jesus. We should never forget this. You know, I remember being a little kid going to church, and our church, we had those, those golden circle trays, right? And I couldn't see them because you're little, and so like they pass them over me, I'm trying to reach. I'm like, what's inside them trays? What's inside? I want what's in them trays. And my grandmother would smack my hand. She's like, don't be reaching. You ain't ready for that. You ain't, and my grandmas will put fear in you. If you ain't fearful already, they will put it in you. You want to die? You want to die? You drink that, you're going to die. You're going to get sick, you're going to die. And I'm like, oh, shoot. It's just, I'm just, they up in the gold trays. I'm trying to be up in the gold tray. But she didn't really explain to me what was taking place. And further in Scripture, go to verse 30. It says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. What is Paul saying? He's talking about when you lose reverence for what is holy, you negate the power in it. Therefore, your spirit becomes sick. Your spirit becomes weak. You begin to fall asleep. You're no longer discerning. You're no longer paying attention to what is holy. So not only do you ignore the communion and its importance, you ignore the cross and its importance. You ignore the significance of when God says you're in holy ground. You ignore the significance of Christ being inside of you. You no longer discern the power of Christ, which is why you are weak. So the process of examination and having reverence for it doesn't just apply to what is in communion, but everything that is holy. And this is what we got to get. So when we come to this time of communion, we're not doing something out of religious habit, but we're doing something sacred. We're remembering something beautiful, something that empowers you, something that equips you, something that sets you free. So every time you're holding those emblems in it, let's take that time to examine ourselves, yes. Let's take time to have reverence for God, yes. Let's take time to thank Him, truly thank Him from the depths of our soul. This is not just another Sunday church. It's not just another communion, but we are honoring the most high in the sacrifice that was made. Would you say amen? amen. Come on. You're going to take communion a little bit different now? You're going to think about them because I'm going to be looking at everybody like. 
It's too easy in church to turn things into religion. It's, it's so easy to dismiss the power of worship. Oh, that wasn't my song. Yeah, you know, I, I wish they did my song. I was really hoping for this song today. You know, we come to church with the wrong mind. Some of us, we wake up and like, man, this clothes don't fit no more. I'm a bit gassy. This is kind of tight. You think this look good? You think they're going to like that? What if she wears that? Then I wear that. Then it's going to look dumb. Now I'm going to change all over again. Well, did I wear this last week? This make no sense. Oh, look at my hair. My hair is messed up. Oh, I don't feel like going anymore. I'm tired. You think, who's going to preach today? Is Max going to preach? Because if he preach, I don't want to go because he be yelling at people and he be getting on my nerves. You know, it's just kind of weird. You think they're going to turn the AC on because sometimes it's too cold in there? Should I bring a sweater? Should I bring one not? Is it hot? Is you're going to do three worship songs? They're going to do four? I, it's weird when they do those little tag things on the end. I don't really get what that means, what's happening there. What about lunch? Are you hungry? We come to church with the wrong thing in mind. We, we, we come to church, and it's a, just another Sunday, and then we end up walking away depressed, hurt, still broken, still upset. Well, you know, I'm just not feeling it at that church. I don't know what's really happening. It's because you're not coming prepared to be part of the church. See, you're, you're coming to be entertained, you're coming to be excited and hear what you want to hear, and you're not receiving what you need. See, you're here to take part in something. This whole moment, from the moment service starts, is something holy happening. See, you can get your breakthrough at the moment church starts. You can get your breakthrough right there in the breezeway when you say hello to your brother, because you're in fellowship already. And the Bible says, where two or more are gathered, I am in the midst. So I don't have to wait for an altar call. I don't have to wait till the song that I want to hear to receive from the Holy Spirit. It's here the moment you step on these grounds because this is holy ground. Have you lost reverence for what is holy? And is that why your spirit is weak? Is that why your spirit is sick? And is that why you've fallen asleep? Because you lost reverence for what is holy. Restoration life is fulfilling the will of God, so therefore we are in a holy purpose. Every single one who takes part in what we're doing, you are holy because Christ is in you. You are a holy vessel. How you lost reverence for that. Every time you wake up, every time you breathe in, whose breath are you hearing? The Bible says that God breathed into man and he came to life. Have you lost reverence for that? Because the moment you could turn your mind back onto what God built you for, you can begin to live with his power, authority here upon the earth. Would you say amen? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship is living sacrificially. That's all it is, living sacrificially. That is worship. Yes, it is hard Serving God. Yes, it is challenging serving God. That's why it's called a sacrifice. If it wasn't challenging, you wouldn't call it a sacrifice. You're like, man, this is really cool, chill thing that I do. It's called following God. It's amazing. It's so nice and relaxing and peaceful. And that's what some people start to try to feed people, hoping that that'll bring them closer to God. No, it's just, you're going to be so blessed. It's going to be so awesome. You're always going to be happy. And you feed them a lie. And then when the lie begins to show its true colors, they run away. Tell them the truth. The truth is that it is a sacrifice. But through that sacrifice, now we're living in reverence to God. Amen. And the best way we can honor the sacrifice and be devoted to the breaking of bread is to present ourselves 
as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is worship. And when you read Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 is a, a breakdown of how we should now be conducting ourselves here upon the earth. There's so many instructions, so much wisdom in just that one chapter. If you take the time to read it and process it, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, often when we use this verse in ministering, we use it in the context of do not allow culture or society to dictate your behavior, which may lead you to sin, which is true. It's 100% true. But there's so much more packed into that first sentence if you take the time to think about it. Because what we'll do, we'll compartmentalize that. Like, oh, yeah, I should stay away from drugs and alcohol and lustful things and pornography and I'm not conforming to the world. Yeah. And we'll stop there. And we'll cut it off. But there's so much in that sentence, do not be conformed to this world. One of those things is conforming to the patterns of religion. Because religion is of this world. People have started making up stuff to be able to satisfy their desires internally. And that is a pattern of this world. One of those behaviors being prayer. Praying like the rest of the world. Prayer is not exclusive to the Christian. I don't know if you know that or not. Prayer is not exclusive to the Christian as far as their practice goes. But prayer and its true essence is very distinct if the Christian does it right. But prayer is not exclusive. Muslims pray. Buddhists pray. Muslims probably pray more than we do. They got five scheduled on the day. Boom, 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 boom. We barely make it to the evening pillow talk and fall asleep. Buddhists got bells and ringing things and incense and they're, Like it looks cool. It smells good. It smells really good. My dad was a Buddhist for a while. That's how I know. I know what it was. The bells and this song. <laughs> Hindus got their thing, right? They pray. Even people who don't have any of those traditional ones, all my new universal people, I put it out into the universe. I was in meditation and I released it to the universe. Energy. You know why people pray to the universe? Because the universe never says no. You, know, you ever talk to somebody about the universe? They were like, yeah, the universe told me that I'm getting all the stuff that I, I put it out there, and wouldn't you know it, it gave it back. Shocker. Shocker. Shocker that it didn't bring any conviction to you. Shocker that it didn't change you, but changed everybody around you. No, you're not the problem. Of course the universe, as big and vast as it is, focused on you. Come on. People are trying to find an easy way out because if they communicate to something that ain't real, they can make up the answer for themselves. They create their own God, and then they become their own God, and they oh, I heard God tell me. Come on. See, we have to understand something, that prayer is not a religious habit either, nor is it a spiritual ATM. God is not your genie. I want this, I need this, give me this, I'm sending up wishes to you. That's not prayer. And in order for us to be able to devote ourselves to prayer, there's a lot of things that we have to understand about prayer. We gotta get down to the fundamentals and build a solid foundation. You can't set up a strong wall if you don't have a solid foundation. So before prayer 
can even be heard. That means that God actually even heard your prayer. There are some things that we have to handle first. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their mind. He says, if my people will humble themselves first, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear them. So before, I want you guys to write this down, before you pray, examine your heart. Are you going in the direction of God or are you going away from him? Have you ever tried to yell at somebody that was going in the opposite direction of you? Right? You're trying to call them, they're, they're going and they're going, and the further out they get, you, you can't hear them anymore. See, but the difference in this is we are the ones walking away and we're trying to talk to God. He's back here. See, God's going that way and we're busy walking this way and we're yelling to God. He's like, I can't, I can't hear you. See, because you're, you're still pursuing those wicked desires. You're still pursuing what you want up on this earth. You're not following me. You're not abiding in me. You're not trusting in me. You're going in the complete opposite direction of me. I cannot hear you. Turn from your wicked ways. Humble yourself. That's the examination of the heart. Before we start to submit a request, have you repented? How are you going to ask God for something? You ain't even repent yet. Have you forgiven? You're asking God for whatever it is you want, but we haven't done the basic things that he's asking of us. And he tells us, I can't even hear you. He's not even telling you no yet. You know what it is? It's similar to when we were kids, and for those, I mean, some of you younger people, you never experienced this in your life, but some of us who had internet in the house, when you would try to pick up the phone, somebody's on the internet, you get a certain sound. It's like, that's what God hears when you try to pray to him and you haven't repented. It ain't getting through. It's busy signal. Like, um, examine your heart. Number two, examine your motives. Why are you praying? What are you praying for? James chapter four, verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God, give me some money. God, I need some money right now. I need some money. Give me some money. Like, no. I'm not giving you money because you're not going to take care of it because the only thing you think about is a new car, new house, new clothes, new shoes, going out, going on vacation. You're not thinking about anything kingdom related, so why would I give it to you? You're not a good steward. You're not obedient. Why would I give it to you? God, give me a woman. I need a woman in my life. You can't take care of grass. Your front yard looking dead just dead, like no life. It's just nothing happened there. You want me to put a woman in your life? You can't even wipe your butt. You want me to put a woman in your life? She don't want to deal with you. Your stink behind. She don't want that problem. God, give me a man. I need a man in my life. Whoa. As cold-hearted, negative, and snappy, and moody as you are, you think I'm going to torture a man like that? You think I'm going to put him in your house so you can be... No. Why would I give you that? God will never give you something that you can't handle. You're praying for something that's outside of his will. You're asking for something that you want. 
with your motives in mind. And what people will do is try to take, make their motives God's will. And this is how it sounds, God, I want to do this for you. God, let me do this for you. Instead of asking God, what is your will for me? What do you want me to do? Not God, I'm doing this for you. That's a big shift in attitude and intentionality. Would you agree? So number one, examine your heart. Number two, examine your motives. Number three, examine your faith. Do you even believe? James chapter one, verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. God, I don't know if you can do this, if you can make this happen. Like, well, I'm only God of the universe. Like, I'm pretty sure I can make this happen. I'm just, just saying. But we, we'll do that. We, we're praying for healing over somebody, but the whole time we, we're just looking at death and destruction in front of us. We, we're believing in thought of restoration, but our true attitude and our hearts of hearts is so far from faith that they're never going to change. How many of you, you, you went inside your house, you looked at that relative, they're never going to change. They're never going to change. And here you are coming down, praying for my family, like, God, just help my family. <laughs> See, you don't believe, you don't believe that he's a God of restoration, but God can do anything. God brought the dead right back to life. He's done it not just once, but on multiple occasions God has done this. God literally spoke everything into existence, and you think he can't solve your problem? See, the problem is your faith. You know why Solomon was regarded as the wisest man? And not because he just picked up a bunch of books and started reading. It was the first thing that he asked God for when offered the opportunity to have everything as God, how I lead your people. I need wisdom to lead your people. And God released it to him. God can do anything. Anything that you need, according to his will, he can provide to you. But your faith has to be in alignment, knowing that it is done. So when I pray, I don't pray if, I pray, God, when. When you do this, God, let my heart be prepared. Whatever it is you're going to do, God, I I'm here, and I'm ready to be used for your will. Because it's not an if. I know my God can do anything. So I, there's no debate there. So examine your heart, examine your motives, examine your faith. Number four, examine your home, fellas. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are the heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Some of you men, you're praying, God, just open up a door for me to be a leader. Open up for God for me to make impact. And you're not even taking care of your home. Your home is not in order. You don't regard your wife as, as the, the more fragile, as the more delicate, as the thing to be appreciated. So when we see that term, the weaker vessel, it's not talking about physical strength. It's that that, that that is precious. Your wife is precious. And you need to regard her as such. But some of you men, you're not treating your wives that way. And your prayers are hindered. Don't tell me that a woman's not strong. I watched this woman push out four babies. That's some strength. Which is why when she stubbed her toe, I don't believe her. Because I'm like, don't front on me. Ow. <laughs> Fellas, this is our responsibility to take care of our home and regard our wives as precious, as valuable. 
Otherwise, your prayers are hindered. And guys, these are just the prerequisites to get your foot in the door. This is just so God can pick up the phone and be like, hello? Oh, it's good to hear from you. This is the beginning of prayer. Repent, turn from wickedness, align your motives with the will of God. Don't try to make your motives God's will. Increase your faith. Trust God and fully in His promises. Regard others more. There's so many more prerequisites. Isaiah teaches us that we have to care for the poor, care for those in need. Amos teaches us that if we're wicked and cruel to people, that it's like a gong going off in heaven and He cannot hear you. It's noise to Him when you try to pray. Regard others more highly than yourself, your wife, your family, co-workers, even the homeless person on the street. That opens up the communication lines for you to be able to have your prayers heard. Because when Jesus died, he already tore the veil and gave us access to him. It is our posture with God that allows the communication to flow now. There's not a veil anymore blocking you can talk to God the Father, you can talk to Jesus the Son, you can talk to the Holy Spirit. They are people. So how do we pray? How do we pray? It says this in Matthew 6. This is Jesus teaching now. And what I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about corporate prayer or when we do this in fellowship prayer. I'm talking about just us as an individual. How do you pray? How do I pray? How should we pray? Jesus says this, says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. I love that. I love that. For, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We don't pray to draw attention to ourselves. Just because you're louder here on earth doesn't mean that all of a sudden it gets louder in heaven. You don't have to come up with this spectacle to pray. And some of us, we, we get caught up in that. And it says don't just heap up words. Don't just say stuff to be saying stuff. Jesus, 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 I love you. I love you, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Father God, Father God, Father God. God of glory, God of glory, Almighty, 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 be in the place of God, 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 God. Jesus. God in heaven looking at you like, what? What? What do you want? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, slide over like, talking to me? I heard you the first time. I need you, I need you, I need you. We're here. We're here. Just, just talk. What do you want? We got almost 3 billion Christians on the planet to deal with. What do you want? And some of us, we, we, we turn prayer into the spectacle rather than using it for its intended purpose, communication with the Father to receive His intended will for our lives. To receive from upon high what it is we need on the daily. God says, I know what you need. But he's trying to see if we're going to pray in alignment with him. Something that I, I, I had to repent from in prayer was spending so much time talking and not enough time listening. See, because communication works both ways. But we like to, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I want this. Can you have this? Can I have this? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Conversation closed. 
And we never take the time to just sit there and be in his presence and hear back from him. And sometimes, and I need everybody to grasp this, God's going to answer in one of three ways. God is going to say yes, not right now, and no. We have to pray that our hearts are in alignment with the not right now, and especially the no. The no that God gives us is not to harm us or destroy us. It is not to break you or harm you. We have to grasp that because we think when God says no to us, he hates us. He must not love us anymore. I prayed and it seems like it's, it's a no. It's a no. Why is it a no, God? How come it's a no? This shouldn't be a no. Here's what we have to understand about God's no. God's not going to give you something that's going to contradict his word or his will. That's where one no comes from. We have to also understand that God's purpose for our lives and God's will is higher than our thoughts. How we think things should play out is not always in God's will. And God's will is not always understood to us in the moment. But often his will is revealed to us the longer we maintain obedience. I'll give you guys an example. When I was a kid, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, early on through her trials, I didn't really understand what was happening. But as the cancer started to really take effect over her body, I saw that harm was happening to her. I watched my mom begin to lose weight like I've never seen it before, and I started to pray over her. God, make this stop. Heal her, God. Make my mom stop hurting. I'm just a kid. I don't really know how to pray. Make her stop hurting. I watched her hair fall out, and me and her were twins. She used to rub my head. I used to rub her hair. God, just heal my mom. Take care of her. When it started to get worse and she couldn't get out of the bed, God, heal my mom. Please. Please, God. Healer. I remember trying to be as good as I could be. Because that's what I was, you were taught as a kid. Like, if you want your prayers answered, you need to be good. So I, I tried to be the good kid. I tried to do everything. Healer, God. Healer. And then one day I got the answer. Your mom's gone. The answer was No. But then the no wasn't to hurt me. The no because heaven needed her. And I needed to go through something. It would take years before I found out the why behind the what. That what I had to go through would eventually shape me into the man that I am. That God needed me to go through some pain and to go through some hurts in order to shape me to become the man that he needs me to be. I came home from Iraq, and same thing with my father. He's dying. I'm praying, God, heal him. Heal him, God. And he didn't. I experienced so much, so much growing up. And it wasn't until years later that God revealed, like, I needed you to go through some things because other people are going to receive my love through you because of what you're going through. And because of what I'm going to do through you. Trust me, I'm blessing you with more. I'm giving you so much more. That the pain is not for nothing. 
And the no is not for nothing. It's not because I don't care about you. Or I, lo- I love you so much that I want to give you this. But this pain is going to mold you into something vastly more great than you can ever imagine. I'm building something through you and inside of you. So take this no and understand that this no isn't to destroy you, but this no is to bless you. Because I'm going to give you more. And I'm going to do more through you. See, God didn't just, when when my mom went to be with him, he provided other women in my life and he provided me with the mom. When my father went to be with heaven, he provided me with the father. When I felt broken and alone and I asked for, for certain things, God provided me with a family. When I asked to be able to have an impact in his life, he gave me people to pour into. But it was through the process of the pain and his grace being sufficient that restored me. Peter, I mean, Paul, Paul prayed. Like, there was a, a demon sent to me to torment me. I prayed three times, and God said, my grace is sufficient. Paul, I'm doing something in you. Some of you guys in here, you've been praying and praying and praying, and God's been telling you, no, his grace is sufficient. He's doing something in you. He's restoring you. He's changing you. He's transforming you. He's molding you. It doesn't make sense right now, but trust me, this is where faith comes into play. You got to put your faith in him and fully understand that what I'm going through is not to break me, but to build me. It's to build me for his divine purpose. Father, I trust in your will and your will alone. I know it hurts. Parents, I know it hurts. I know it hurts when you're praying for your kid. And you don't want to see them stray away. You don't want to see them on drugs. You don't want to see them locked up. You don't want to see them die. And you're praying for them. And sometimes it's, it's not yet. They're not ready yet. Sometimes you guys, you're in the hospital and you're praying over your family and your loved ones and you're like, God, don't take them away. Please, God, don't take them away. We have to understand that all of us belong to him first. And that death is not final. Death is not final. Are you hearing me, church? Death is not final. Death is not your end. Death is not your demise. Death is your beginning. Death is your new life. See, that's what we got to know. I was sitting over here doing worship, and it just, it all came to play. It hit me like a ton of bricks. You see, my father was far away from God, and he had nothing to do with God. When my mom died, it it broke him, and he went further away from God. But when my mom died, it created a void in me, and it was through pursuing God that that void was filled up. And through my pursuing of God, my father came back to God, and my father got saved because I went back to God. So God understood the only way for me to get the father was for me to get the son. The only way for me to get the son is that the mother has to come back home with me. I have a plan, and you can't see how it's being worked out. But trust me, I have a plan is what the Lord says. So for some of you guys, you're going into pain here. Understand that the no is not to break you. But his no is to restore you. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, we understand this. God's first perfect will is that everyone come into a right relationship with him. Every person comes into a right relationship with him. That the whosoever of the world, that none shall perish. That is the will of the Father. So if you're in this place and you know that you're walking away from God, you're separate from him, you're far away And today's the day you say, Pastor Max, I want to repent. I want to humble myself. I want to turn away from my old ways. I want to leave that past behind. 
and I want to be able to communicate with my Father in heaven. If that's you today, you say, Pastor Max, I want to repent for my ways, and I want to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, just where you're at. I just want you to raise your hand. Just where you're at. doesn't matter what you're going through. Hallelujah. God sees that hand. Hallelujah. God, hallelujah. Hands going up all around this room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God sees those hands. It doesn't matter if you've been coming to church for years. You know where your heart is. You know whether or not you're close to God or you're far away from God. Shoot those hands. Yes. Yes. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Up there on the balcony. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, this is the first way we communicate. There, there is no prayer for salvation in the Bible as far as the title goes. But we can pray to our Father in heaven. And right now, if you raised your hand just where you're at, where you're in your private space right now. Right now, where you're at, God is there too. The Holy Spirit is right there next to you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want all of us to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love and your sacrifice. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. I surrender. I repent of my sin. And I turn away from my wicked ways. I give my life to you. Surrender completely to you. To honor you, to glorify you, and to fulfill your will up on the earth. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, give God some praise in this place. If you prayed that prayer right now, you have turned away, and now you begin to live a life devoted to God. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. I want to do one more thing. I want to do one more thing. As you continue to read in Matthew 6, Jesus begins to teaching, this is how you pray. We know this as the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is how you pray. I want you to repeat after me. Say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Till your kingdom comes, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says, pray like this. He didn't mean verbatim. He didn't mean say these words every single time you pray. He meant pray like this. See, when we say, our Father, we're acknowledging that we are in family and relationship with God the Father. He's not just God out there we can't touch, but our Father. I have a relationship with Him. I belong to Him. I am His child. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy. See, when I communicate hallowed to our Father, I'm understanding His holy presence. I'm understanding who He is, that He is above, beyond, and through all existence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Till your kingdom comes, I'm acknowledging that one day He is returning, and His kingdom will be established here upon the earth. May your will be done. Not my will, not how I think it should play out, but may your will, until the day you come back, may your will be done here upon the earth the same way your will is done up in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
till thy kingdom comes, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Thank you for the day, God. Thank you for this day you woke me up. Thank you for giving me a new opportunity at life. Thank you for giving me a chance to impact others. Thank you. Give us this day, our daily bread. Thank you for your word. See, the word is our daily bread. The word is meant to feed us on a daily basis. Thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you for the word I'm meant to go and feed others with. God, what is your will for me? What should I say to other people? How should I communicate to other people? What is the word that they need to hear? God, I pray that your gift of prophecy begin to flow through me that I may deliver the proper word for the day. Give us a day, our daily bread. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. To your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us. Every day we make mistakes. Every day our, our flesh tries to come back. Forgive us. Forgive us. We live in humility. See, when I say forgive us, I'm humbling myself. And the Bible tells me when those who humble themselves, I hear their prayer. So when I say, God, forgive me, I'm humbling myself, understanding that I am human, I am fragile, and my flesh is going to make some mistakes. God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, give me strength. Give me strength to release those who have wronged me. Give me humility to release those who have wronged me because I've wronged you. So who am I to hold a grudge against a human being when you have so many reasons to hold a grudge against me, but you release me and you free me of this. So God, give me the same strength to be able to release those who have wronged me. Father, lead us not into temptation. Because I'm very good at leading myself there. Father, give me strength. Give me wisdom to discern. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Allow my brain to be able to focus on the things of God so I'm not drawn away by these temptations. God, deliver me from temptation. Deliver me from evil. See, when we pray the prayer like this, we are combating against any spiritual authority upon this earth that tries to bring harm to us because our God is the only true authority upon this earth. There are powers and principalities at work, so we must arm ourselves properly in prayer and understand that it is our tongue that we wield against the enemy. The Bible teaches us that the tongue is the spirit, which is the sword. And your prayer is how you go to war. It doesn't require a ton of words to go to war. Freedom over my children. Peace in my home. Enemy come out now in the name of Jesus. It doesn't require much to be said. Jesus, he just pray like this. So with the time we have, we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to open up these altars. Some of you guys, you need to come pray on behalf of your family. You need to pray with faith. You need to pray for yourselves, and you need to pray with faith. Not to draw a spectacle or draw attention to yourself, but have that communication one-on-one -on -one with God. Go to war for your family. Go to war for your schools. Go to war for your jobs. Go to war for our nation. If your life is all good and everything's going, pray for anything around the world. We need more prayer in this world, but we have to understand the right way and the wrong way to pray. But I pray God's peace upon the earth because that is up in His will. I pray that our hearts no longer waver in fear because fear is not of God. I pray in His will. So these altars we're going to open right now. And just as your heart feels compelled to pray, I want you to come down and begin to just 
communicate with your father. Begin to speak out to him. Begin to have that intercession. Jesus, be here with us. Yes, Lord. Come on. I open up my heart to you now. So do what only you can. Oh, Jesus, have your
open our hearts to you. We open up our hearts to you. We open our homes to you. We open our jobs, our schools, our, our nation to you, God. We want to be a part of revival here upon the earth, God. And we know there's things that only you can do. So we pray in agreement with your will. May your will be done upon the earth. May your will be done upon the earth. We lay our lives down to you, God. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your glory. Father, thank you for your no. Thank you for telling us no when we don't understand. But thank you. Thank you that you were understanding of what we needed when we didn't. Father, I pray over every person in this place that they draw near to your spirit, that they turn from the ways of this world, that they no longer conform or bound by the things of this world, that we don't look at Sunday as a religious, habitual practice, but we understand that this time is sacred. 
that your body, your blood is sacred, that the worship is sacred, that prayer is sacred. And we take reverence for all things that are sacred. Thank you, Father. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise, all God's people said. Amen. Come on, give God some praise in this place. Hallelujah.